Hi, everybody. You might give one minute more, but I'll do a mini introduction. You might have seen me on some calls before. I'm Felice, the Transit Planner 2 with Lawrence Transit, and I'll be kind of walking you through the second half of the presentation this evening. And I'll be moderating the chat box and different things like that. So I just wanted to say hello. And Boris, when your team is ready, I think we can get started in, it's 5.31. So. Yeah, great. I think, yeah, I think we can probably go ahead and get started. Um, so uh, Rebecca Martin is actually going to lead most of the discussion together with Felice today. Um, the topic that we're going to be covering is uh, kind of a summary of, of stakeholder activities up to now and then stakeholder activities yet to come. So Rebecca is going to start with the stuff that we've already done and what we've heard, what we've learned, and then Felice will cover future stakeholder outreach. So Rebecca, take it away. Absolutely. Yes. Let me first share my screen. Can you all see my PowerPoint? And I hope that's a yes. Okay. Um, so today, okay, great. Yeah. Um, so today we'll be talking about the public outreach that we did um, this summer. And I'll just give you a summary of what we did and what we found. And we'll have a little bit of discussion mixed in about um, the things that we found. So I'll start with just an overview of, of the methods that we used. So we conducted a number of focus groups and we also had a public survey that was available online. Um, so starting with the focus groups, we held five different focus groups and engaged a total of 23 community members through those focus groups. And we had themed focus groups to try and get um, different perspectives from the community. So we held um, one focus group that was geared towards university affiliates and we had eight people attend that meeting. We also had a focus group specifically for frontline staff. So for Lawrence Transit and KU on Wheels um, staff members, and we had nine attendees at that at that meeting. We also had a focus group specifically for community resources. So we had some people from the library who attended and talked about their, um, their experience, uh, you know, interacting with people in the community who might need assistance at times. We also had a general public meeting, which had two attendees. And then we also scheduled a focus group for major employers in the area, although none of them actually showed up. So we did try to reach them, but they just didn't um, attend. And then in terms of the public survey, we had an online survey, and then we also had paper copies, and both of those were available in English and in Spanish. And we received a total of 661 responses, which I think is um, pretty great. We did most of that outreach over the summer and then kept the survey open um, for some targeted outreach on buses with paper surveys, trying to get some more surveys um, from each different route to make sure we had um, good responses to understand the service for each different route. Um, and then we'll go through the results from the survey later, but there were sort of four main topics that we asked about in the survey. Um, so the first was demographics, including information about a person's rider status, whether or not they ride transit at all, um, and details about their most common transit trip. So this was helpful for us to figure out where do people live? You know, where are people going? At what time are they traveling? Why are they traveling? Is it to go to work or school or get groceries? Um, things like that. So we understand how people are using um, transit service in Lawrence. 
And then we asked people their opinions about transit. Do they think it's, you know, clean and easy to use? Are the drivers nice? Things like that. And then we ended with a number of trade-off questions. Um, and so the trade-off questions were saying like, of these two options, which would you prefer? And actually, um, we asked these trade-off questions to both the focus group and the survey. So we'll start with those, um, those findings since we asked both groups about them. And so in this slide and the next slides coming up, I'll just talk about each um, trade-off question that we asked and then the responses that we received through the survey and the focus group. So the first trade-off question that we asked was, would people like longer service hours? So that often means um, like service hours extending into the evening, for example, or would people prefer more frequent service? So would they like to have more buses coming in every hour so that people have to wait, you know, less time to have a bus show up? So in the survey, um, I'll talk about first of all, how to, how to read these graphs. So the blue on this side aligns with the longer service hours. And then um, on this side, the yellow responses um, are the people who chose more frequent service. And then in the middle, the gray are people who said either they didn't care, well, people who said that they didn't care either way or, or they weren't sure. Um, so here you can see that respondents were more likely to choose more frequent service. And then this, this top portion is riders and then the bottom portion is non-riders. So um, non-riders preferred more frequent service. Uh, well, they both did, but non-riders preferred it even more. Um, and you can see that riders were like a little bit split between longer service hours or more frequent service. And then what we heard in the focus groups is mostly that people prefer more frequent service. So that was true of the university um, staff and the public focus groups. They preferred more frequent service. And then the community resources, we heard that they might prefer longer service hours so that people at least had an option of you know, how to get home, even if it is later in the evening. So I will actually pause here for a moment. Do any of you have any thoughts about this trade-off, longer service hours versus more frequent service? Um, and what we're hearing, which is mostly that people prefer more frequent service, but there is a little bit of preference for longer service hours as well. Rebecca, Rebecca you might mention that little N. N value there? Oh, just, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. So the N value here is the total number of responses. So here, um, the 507, there were 507 riders who responded and then 135 non-riders who responded. So that's just to give you a sense of like the total scale. We received a lot more responses from riders. So that's just a good thing to keep in mind as we go through these. Um, and if there aren't any comments, we can just move on to the next one. Um, so there's one, oh, Rebecca. Yeah. There's one. Um, so I'm with the Lawrence Community Shelter, and I'm new on the steering committee. So if I'm uh, out of line, just check me up. Um, but for our shelter riders, um, I think longer service hours is often helpful. I also used to be with a major employer. Um, and we couldn't hire people that um, didn't have cars to work till 8 p.m. because of the short days. Mm -hmm. um, and also we couldn't hire them to work on Sundays. And then a lot of those same people who we were hiring for those kinds of shifts were in fact people who were using community resources also like the library and the shelter. Mm -hmm. um, 
So even though um, I'm just not sure that our guests would be the type that would respond to a um, survey. So I just Mm -hmm. wanted to put their two cents in that they're often trapped at the shelter on Sundays and they often can't take shifts. Um, Even though there's the nightline, not all of them are, are able to do that. And we get free bus passes, but we don't get free bus passes for the nightline. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That is very helpful to hear. That's the kind of, you know, input that we're certainly looking for. Since there's a relatively even distribution, I wonder, is, is it possible to segment, for instance, for the riders, looking at the data for those who ride, could this be segmented based on some of the reasons provided early on? I think as part of the demographics, there was a, I use this to get to work, I use this to get to shopping. It might be interesting to understand if there are key differences among those groups in terms mm-hmm. of the response because this yeah. is the numbers are pretty close so that might mm-hmm. provide some additional insight and, and might the routes too because like the go, going to north lawrence is actually uh something that would help a lot of people if the hours were longer or into the south where over by the shelter Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, bouncing off what they said, uh, I think it'd be interesting to segment this data based off like KU versus non-KU because KU, right, we run our buses till 1030 or at least our our uh, 44 route. And then we have Safe Ride that runs till 230. So it really isn't like a problem if you don't have service for those hours uh, mm-hmm. because you have like Safe Ride and stuff. Um, but I, I really think that the longer service hours probably help a more disadvantaged population. And we should probably weigh that a little bit more heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my two cents. And I don't have any data to support that. But yeah, that's no, that's great. We want to hear your two cents. <laughs> um, great, I yeah. had a comment. This is Laura McCulloch. And I'm sorry, my. In- unstable. So I hope that you can hear me okay. Um, I was just wondering if there might be opportunities to um, decide based on a route uh, about whether it is longer service hours. Not quite sure if I heard the end of the question, but the answer is yes, we can definitely like make different decisions for different routes as we're planning scenarios. I hope she can we, hear me. Yeah, and and this this is a um, a snapshot of an of a kind of a larger analysis that's going into a memo that will then uh, flow mm-hmm. into the draft report document. So um, there will be kind of more more space to do those kind of segmentation analyses if if we choose to do that. Um, and the report would be kind of a, a place where we could you know add a little bit more more detail, but it it's certainly possible to see how people respond to this question based on the route that they selected, based on their employment status, based on their student status, like all all those things are are definitely possible. So we can see if we find any patterns um, that really pop out by, by looking at some of those segmentations. Hey, Boris and Rebecca, real quick, this is quiz with KU and I apologize for the extra uh, question, but um, on that on that scenario where some routes could have longer service and some routes could have uh, greater frequency in general, when you guys are kind of doing route redesign, 
do you see that kind of, you know, fluctuation between routes or do you typically advise groups as a whole to kind of go one way or the other? Um, it, it depends on the situation, but um, basically the, the way that we kind of the next steps are we focus on, on coverage first and that's what we, what we will be presenting at the next technical, uh, the, the next um, set of public meetings as well as the next meeting with, with this group um, will be presenting kind of route alignments and coverage. And then once we have some consensus on the coverage, then we start diving into the schedules and that that's both frequency and span of service. And so as we de develop the schedules, there's a few constraints that we have. Number one is um, we try to we try to make the service overall fit within some, some budget number. So, um, you know, at some point we hit a wall and we're like, okay, we can't really go more. So something has to give either frequency or span of service. And if we do have to cut back, then where do we do that? So we, we try to do that in areas where we think there would be less ridership potential than areas where there's more ridership potential. So it's, it's kind of an iterative process. So um, it, it certainly is not uncommon to have a network where some routes run later than others, where some routes are more frequent than others. And even within a route, you could have periods of the day that are more and less frequent service. That's something that, that uh, Lawrence Transit doesn't do. Currently, they, they don't... Uh, you know, have a variable schedule throughout the day, but that, but that certainly could be where you have late night hours where service is running less frequently, but then during peak hours, you could run more frequently. So there's all sorts of um, combinations of coverage and schedules that we're going to be playing with. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thank you for those comments. That is, um, you know, very helpful. And I think we'll have some more discussion on the next question as well. Um, so the next question, whoops. Um, so the next question is about adding Sunday service um, versus improving existing service. Um, and what we saw here is in the survey, both riders and non-riders were likely to choose improve existing service over adding Sunday service, um, which was very interesting because in the focus groups, we then heard a little bit of the opposite. In the university group, we heard that Sunday service would be really beneficial for international students because they're likely to not own cars, so they might not have another way to get around. Um, and we heard from staff that Sunday service is important, and they, they even threw out some ideas of how this could happen. So instead of starting with a fixed route service, it might be possible to start with like flex zones or something so that people have at least some way to access service on Sundays. Um, and this was another, you know, similar, whoops, Similar thing that we heard in the community resources um, focus group. So that, you know, some sort of Sunday on-demand service would be helpful for, um, you know, clients seeking services. Um, and in the public, you know, we again heard that Sunday service was important. So we would like to hear if, if you have any thoughts about this question as well. You know, we're, we're definitely hearing something different from, you know, the survey versus focus groups. So any thoughts? I have a question. Um, did, did this, this was a summer questionnaire um, and I would just like to point out that in the winter Sundays becomes a lot more important to certain groups of people um, that can walk uh, I know the guests at the Lawrence Community Shelter average like five to ten miles of walking per day that's average for a person who has who is without a home um, but on Sundays, I mean, in the winter time, not being able to, you know, if there's a ice storm, mm -hmm. 
uh, not that the bus should run in an ice storm, but you know, if it's stormy <laughs> and it's been cold, uh, that can be really challenging for people that don't have great shoes and winter wear all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great point. Was- I wanted to jump in for a second, Rebecca, and on some yep. of these trade-off questions, we were interested to see that the responses were different, and we would also like some feedback from this group about how do you feel if we got survey responses and we might still be interested in piloting Sunday service? How does that feel to you all? Like, we collectively kind of put this survey together, so we're also open to, like, pulling it back a little bit and seeing what the perspective is on a couple of these questions that are maybe we got different results than we expected, how you feel about moving forward um, on, you know, potentially still piloting some of these things, even though the survey results don't exactly call for it. So we're open to hearing that kind of comments as well. Well, I'm thrilled that you, that with the level of participation, but any, any tool has, has um, limitations. And so I certainly don't think that any given survey should be uh, used as a mechanism to say, oh, we shouldn't try a pilot on Sunday, given that we've got, you know, I think a significant number of folks in the community um, who are interested uh, and who could benefit from that. it doesn't mean throughout the survey results, but I don't think it should preclude other experiments to uh, get feedback from our community. I'll just throw out one one thing um, from my experience. All we we would like to be able to move forward with as many improvements as possible. A lot of these decisions start really making, or we start really focusing on some of these trade offs when we get to the point where we do have to make difficult decisions, where we where we find that um, we can't do everything we'd like, and we have to either sort of have, take a phased approach, where you know what is the prior what is the prioritization of improvements, um, you know, is Sunday service at the top of the list, or is it something that can wait a little bit? So that's that's kind of the usefulness of the survey. It's a tool that helps us prioritize decisions that not necessarily exclude them, but just prioritize them. Great. Yeah, thank you for that feedback. Um, and I think we'll just move on to the next trade-off question. Um, so the next question that we asked was if people would prefer more frequent bus stops versus faster travel times. Um, and here, So this is interesting because we saw from non-riders that they would prefer faster travel times um, with less frequent stops, but riders preferred more frequent stops. And um, this is also something that we heard a lot of discussion about in the focus groups. So um, in the university group, they were kind of split on this question. They thought maybe students would prefer faster travel times and they're willing to possibly walk, you know, more distance to get to a bus stop. Um, But if there's bad weather or if there are people with disabilities using the service, that might be a reason to have more frequent bus stops. Um, And many staff members also said that perhaps older clientele would like to have more bus stops with more shelters, um, which would make accessing the the service easier and then having faster service would be slightly less important. Um, And in the community resources, we even heard specifically that it might just depend whether that route is serving students or if it's serving um, older people in the community. Uh, And in the public, we heard that specifically routes one and six need more frequent stops. And I think that was 
possibly one person's um, experience on those routes. Um, so again, this is a this is another question where we're hearing sort of like slightly different things, which might depend on who's using the service or where it's running. Are there any other thoughts about um, this trade-off? Uh, this is Chris Tilden. I don't think I announced myself before, and I'm uh, representing Laval Douglas County on this group. Um, you know, I I do as I'm looking at at the comments related to things like disability, uh, bad weather. You know, I I think over time as we develop stronger multimodal uh, transportation systems, that you know perhaps perhaps responses would change. I mean, but at this point. I think we do have a lot of challenges, for instance, in our sidewalk system, so that people with disabilities really are challenged to get to, uh, maybe really challenged to get to a stop. I do remember uh, listening to a presentation one time by the city of Atlanta about their transit system and said as they improved amenities, i.e. added more shelters and other amenities to their system, that people's perception of the time spent decreased despite the despite the fact that the time didn't decrease <laughs> it was and so i think as we make you know i i think having more stops um, having more shelters i don't think it's a necessarily a one to one trade off if people are having a better experience uh, and may perceive that their travel time is less simply because they have a more positive experience. So um, I think it may be important to think about those kinds of issues in this process. Yeah, thank you. So we can move on to the next question that we asked, which was um, looking at more service frequency versus more service coverage. So the idea here is that coverage would mean possibly going on, you know, more neighborhood roads um, to, to have access to more, more places. And then um, more service frequency might mean aligning more buses along the same road to have, you know, more frequency. So we actually heard mostly from riders and non-riders that they would mostly prefer more service frequency rather than more service coverage. Um, although they are you know, a little bit split on that question with a lot of people who don't have a strong opinion in the middle. Um, and we did hear interestingly from the focus groups that service coverage was perhaps more, more important. Um, in the university group, we even heard that perhaps many main roads are not actually safe for pedestrians. So it might be helpful to put the buses on different roads if that would help um, with safety concerns. Um, and in the staff in the staff focus group, we heard that um, you know providing more service coverage and going on smaller roads might actually help make the bus more a part of the community rather than having it you know only go on large roads that are perhaps hard to access as a pedestrian. Um, and in the other two focus groups, we again heard that service coverage was more important. So this is another example where we're, we're hearing something slightly different from the survey responses as we are from the focus groups. Um, although I think survey responses were also a little bit split on this question. Um, does anyone have thoughts about this trade-off?
again, I think this might be like a route thing too, um, because there are some places where it would be nice to have coverage that goes in a little bit more um, because it serves a population that maybe has a harder time with mobility um, or because the sidewalks are more treacherous. So that does seem like something that could be on a, like I think that the one could do more coverage or maybe that needs to be two buses even um, because it's trying to cover a pretty wide swath of the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is quiz at KU and just something to think about uh, will be the size of the vehicle also, you know, 40 foot buses may, may have a harder time getting into those uh, smaller roads, smaller, you know, those neighborhood areas. You also might have certain neighborhoods that potentially could complain about bus traffic coming through, maybe not, but I think the size of the vehicle would obviously depend a lot on what we could or could not do there. Mm -hmm. Great, and we will, let's see. Um, so the next question that we asked was about um, improving existing service versus expanding service to serve new areas. So we found um, in the survey that both riders and non-riders were more likely to prefer to improve existing service rather than serving new areas. Um, and then in the focus groups, um, we mostly had some discussions about where that um, new service might be appropriate. So in the staff focus group, we heard that west of Iowa and Wakarusa is an area that might need to be served um, in the future, but there was some concern about those neighborhoods also not wanting a 40-foot bus going through their neighborhood. Um, and then in the community resources focus group, we heard that North Lawrence um, specifically needs more service. Um, and they also talked about west of Wakarusa uh, because there's, I think, more new development happening there, especially new apartment buildings. Um, so this is, a, again, another question where we're seeing a little bit of a split response. Does anyone have any thoughts about um, sort of this trade-off between existing service or serving new areas? I have a thought on that. <clears throat> this comment about new apartment buildings being built west of Wakarusa, maybe part of what we need to show is a map of where apartment complexes are going in so that we can sort of evaluate how much of that there is compared to single family or multifamily housing just to be able to quantify, here's how many apartment complexes we're serving or not serving, just to have that be part of the data we're showing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is also, I'd like to say that I'm on the acquisition committee that is looking at a, a sp expanding affordable housing. Um, and when we look at the west side, it's very difficult to justify putting affordable housing there without having transit available because the people who live in affordable housing 
are more likely to use a public transit as well um, and or to need it. So that's actually a bottleneck that we're looking at when we're trying to add um, new affordable housing units. Mm -hmm. And so that's not even on a map yet because it's just ideas, but there are mm -hmm. ideas that where there's land available that would be affordable to put those units on. And then we're not taking advantage of them for affordable housing due to not knowing what we will do in terms of transit. Mm -hmm. Was there someone else who also had a comment? This is Chris Tilden. I was just going to comment that, I mean, the largest apartment complex that I can think of that with recent construction is the, I, I can't remember the name, the links, I guess, um, you know, which is out by Rock Chalk Park, which I imagine is served by six. So at least served by one, one route at this time. Mm -hmm. I think this might be our last trade-off question. So that I think the last one is, um, should we maintain service levels as they are or eliminate fares? Um, so this was a very interesting question. And in the free response section that we'll cover later, we got a lot of um, thoughts and comments um, specifically about fares. So in the survey results, we actually found that most riders and non-riders wanted to maintain service levels rather than eliminate fares. Um, which is interesting, maybe not what we expected. And in the focus groups, we had a lot of discussion about um, the importance of providing free or reduced fares. Um, so in the university group, they supported reducing fares or specifically providing free fares to low-income riders. Um, we heard the same thing in the staff focus group, which really supported reducing fares, although they were also concerned about where the money for operations would come from if fares were eliminated. The community resource group and the public group were both, you know, very supportive of eliminating fares. Um, so we can talk through, you know, some of the comments later as well. But we heard we heard a lot of things about how, you know, people really support uh, removing fares, but were concerned about um, losing service that would go along with that. So I don't know if any of you have thoughts about this trade-off and and how to sort of move forward with the fare discussion. Hey, this is Quiz again at KU. I think I think ultimately for both the city's budget and KU's budget, both, you know, trying to, you know, foresee long term what what potentially would be there, you know, is hard to do, obviously. You know, if you knew you had unlimited financial resources, it'd be real easy to say, oh yeah, let's, you know, reduce fares, make it fare free. You know, we we have the conversation. Margaret and I quite frequently with KU and, and student Senate, if they ever decided to, to no longer give us fee increases, you know, ultimately that means a reduction in service for us on the KU side of things. So if our student fee doesn't continue to go up and up, you know, I mean, barring, you know, applying for federal, federal funds and, you know, for some vehicles or something like that, uh, you know, I think we'd be faced with a reduction possible reduction in service. And so I think it really ties that question. 
I don't know if that it can be answered unless you kind of really feel confident about what budgets may or may not look like long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is Chris Tilden. I, I agree with what he said. I, I I think it's a really larger community conversation, you know, than um, a relatively small group of writers um, or non-writers weighing in. I mean, I, I can't foresee uh, a decision to move towards fair free without some sort of referendum, you know, in the city that would provide some sort of mechanism to um, develop a consistent source of revenues for this kind of for this kind of work. I'm I'm not sure a survey alone is going to be <laughs> is going to provide us with adequate data to have the kind of community discussion around the issue that we need to have. Mm -hmm. I guess something that would be helpful for me is to know, like, how much of the budget is uh, based off fare? Like, how much would we be losing if we went to fare free? Um, I think I think Adam cover, might have mentioned that at a previous meeting, and I, I don't have it in front of me. But typically, fares uh, in a tr in a public transit system typically fares cover about ten percent of operating costs, sometimes up to twenty, and so sometimes a bit a bit less. So, like maybe between eight and twenty, but um, somewhere in the range of ten is is not uh, unusual. So, I don't know if um, anybody has the number in front of them on this call, but uh, Adam would probably be the, the best to address that one. He couldn't join us today. Yeah. This is quiz at KU. I'm going to take a stab at this and Margretta, you might want to chime in or Felice, but for some reason I'm thinking that to go fare free would require somewhere between four and $500,000 um, is what's generated. That's, that's my understanding. And again, that's just on the city side, right? I mean, the right. fees that KU have put in place and I think it's kind of a, it, yeah, it might be hard for folks to understand, but the student fee that's put in place is what allows the students to ride technically free. They've prepaid their services on the front end. Yes, and the four to $500,000 number is less than 10% of the city's annual operating budget. Sure, and, and we didn't want to get too bogged down with the number. We wanted to test the appetite for cutting service levels with this, and we wanted to stay high level, so we didn't really bring our numbers into it. But we did have that discussion about whether or not we should at this level. And um, so I think we feel pretty comfortable with where we're at with that. And I think it's okay to talk a little bit of numbers, but just kind of seeing the appetite for it. Yeah. And again, this, this is a, a reflection maybe of priorities once again. So not, there could be plenty of people that would say, yes, let's reduce the fare if, if, if there were no negative impacts of that decision. Um, but if there were negative impacts and let's put that off to a later date. So again, maybe highlighting priorities. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's uh, at the shelter. This is Megan with the shelter. Um, we, Get, we have free bus passes that are given to us by the city. Each year we get a set amount. Um, and the only thing that we've, we generally like that um, because then we can use them as um, motivation to get some chores done actually. So um, uh, 
But one of the things that we have thought about is when people move from the shelter into permanent housing, but they're still very low income, it would be great if there was like a bracelet or like a, a laminated card to give to somebody who was of a specially low income and, and trying to stay um, employed that was working a program um, as a way to make sure that they don't lose their job because they can't get transportation um, because, you know, scraping together any money is sometimes difficult and we can't give them bus passes once they're not at the shelter because those bus passes are for shelter guests. Mm -hmm. So that's my only input. Generally speaking, I think our guests would prefer that um, service levels remain high because, um, Uber will not, a lot of Uber drivers will turn down fares to come out to the shelter because they don't like to give our, because of implicit bias against people without houses. This is Melissa from the Lawrence Public Library. And I wanted to kind of um, echo what Megan was saying. Um, so we, um, this winter, we had an allotment of bus passes that the, that the transit office gave us to give out. And then for a while, we um, augmented that with bus passes that we were purchasing with grant funding. And what we were finding was that as kind of word of mouth, we didn't advertise it at all, but as word of mouth kind of spread, we were giving out exponentially greater numbers of bus passes every month. Um, and in no way did we get the sense that, you know, folks are taking advantage of it or anything like these people, you know, legitimately needed these bus passes to manage all kinds of life circumstances. Um, we eventually reached the point where we, um, we had, we had to discontinue offering that because we just, you know, we could see that we weren't going to be able to support that long-term. Um, but I would really um, be in favor of, um, you know, adding another path to reduced or free fares for people um, because, it, you know, at this point, there are just some folks who don't really fall into a category where that's um, an option for them. Yeah, thank you for those thoughts. Really appreciate that. Um, so I think that is the end of the discussion that we have for the trade-off question specifically. So what we'll do next is just go through some of the other questions that we asked um, at the focus groups. And what I have here is the questions that we asked in every single focus group. And then the, the responses that you'll see is just a compilation. It could have come out of any of the specific focus groups. So the first question is, what are Lawrence Transit and or KU on Wheels doing well? We heard a lot of really positive feedback from these um, groups. We heard many times that drivers are helpful, they're friendly and pleasant. So we were happy to hear that for sure. Um, people also thought that you're providing, you know, great services. They, some of the things that we heard were Nightline, Safe Ride, and the paratransit services were all very appreciated. And um, in general, we heard that the transit system is working well, especially for a community of this size. Um, and then the next question that we followed up with is how could Lawrence Transit and or KU on Wheels serve the community better? So we heard um, a variety of 
of ideas. And most of these are, you know, not surprising. Um, some people mentioned coordinating with the KC service, including the K10 connector. Um, some people wanted more park and ride options. And then, you know, we heard that holiday, Sunday, or late night service uh, would be a helpful addition. Uh, we also heard that it would be helpful to um, make understanding the service easier, especially for the nightline. People wanted um, perhaps more resources to understand how to use the services. Um, and then we heard um, that reducing travel time would be helpful. And then we heard many times that providing shelters at bus stops would make waiting for the bus um, easier, especially during um, bad weather days. Uh, and then we asked, do passengers have the tools that they need to understand and use the service? So here we heard um, a number of things. So um, as one example, we heard that the bus brochures require some experience to use and they can be confusing, um, especially for a person who hasn't used a bus brochure like that before. Um, we heard um, also that the trip planner and the rider guide might be difficult to understand for some users who, again, aren't used to reading this type of information. Um, we did hear from some people that the app works well and they're happy to use that. Although we also heard that lack of access to technology can be a barrier, especially for seniors who might not know, who might not have a cell phone or might not know how to use it um, to access information. Uh, and then we did hear, you know, we heard before that the drivers were very helpful. And then during this question, um, some people thought that city riders might even be relying on operators to assist them uh, if they need help getting where they're going. They just ask the driver, which is great that the driver, um, you know, can provide that help, but also might be helpful if um, riders can have more resources to determine those things on their own. Uh, people asked for larger maps that have landmarks on them. Some people said that landmarks would help them figure out like where they are better than perhaps just having a street network um, on the map. And then uh, we also heard that you know, the travel training and the tech service are great tools, but they actually, um, it requires research to become a bus expert and really know that those tools are even out there or how to use them. So it just requires some input to um, figure out how to use the system. And then we asked if Lawrence Transit and or KU on Wheels provide an inviting passenger environment. Um, so we heard positive things here in general. Uh, we heard that the passenger environment is inviting, especially for paratransit users. Uh, again, we heard that improving stops with benches or shelters or chairs would be helpful and it would help um, you know, people as they're waiting. We also heard good things about the customer service. Um, in general, it's very good and the drivers are very helpful when people have questions. And some respondents said that the city equipment need, um, could be updated. And then um, we also asked if there were other communities that are getting transit right that might be good examples, um, might be good models. And so we heard two things sort of repeatedly. So we heard that the Kansas City streetcar was um, an example of a very successful route. And people um, had a lot of good things to say about it. And then we also heard that um, Champaign-Urbana, which is in Illinois, is a similar community with good transit service. It's also a university town. So we heard that that you know, might be um, a good example as well. So those are the questions that we asked the fo focus groups and the responses um, that we heard. Before I move on to the survey results, do you, does anyone have any you know, like comments or thoughts about the focus group questions and answers? Um, not to be, but 
our guests would really like more simple um, brochures, especially um, because traumatic brain injury is the like number one indicator that you'll end up in a homeless shelter. So it's really important to understand that people have pretty severe learning disabilities. And so all these multiple pages with the, all the maps, even the color coding, it's uh, we have to sit there and, you know, there's often only two staff and like, we just can't give that kind of um, educational half hour seminars on how to get to where your next stop is. And it can be very frustrating for people mm -hmm. um, and they don't necessarily have smartphones. So. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think it would be really helpful to know is if, we could like rank questions based on how important they are to you. For example, like on the question that was like Sunday service versus um, I think it was more frequent service or better service. Um, we had more of a population that said, Oh, uh, I want better service. But I think for the, like the Sunday service people, it sounded really important. And we heard that in the focus groups. And so maybe if we could put like a sliding scale, like one to five or one to 10 or something, um, I think that might be helpful for us in the future if we send out more surveys. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, so I will move into next the um, survey responses that we heard. So I'll just give a little bit of an overview of sort of each um, section that we asked questions about. So the first question was rider status. Um, so here you can see that Almost 60% of the people who responded to the survey are regular riders who are riding multiple times per week. Um, and then the rest of the respondents are sort of split between um, people who don't ride at all and people who ride occasionally. Um, and then we also asked um, if a person rides transit, which routes do they use? So um, you can see at the top here, which routes are most popular. So route 11 um, and route seven were definitely the most common answers um, with like route six, 10 and 43 sort of coming up next. So we heard um, a lot of people riding those specific routes. And I will say here, um, so people were allowed to choose up to three routes that they rode. So um, that's why the total number of responses here is much higher than the actual responses we received because each person could list up to three routes that they rode. We also asked people um, for the riders, like why do they ride transit? And for people who don't ride, why don't they ride transit? So the most popular reason for, for riding transit is not owning a car. Um, and then a couple of the other uh, responses that were common is bus is the most convenient option. So that's great. And then I am doing my part for the environment, which shows that perhaps people are like specifically making a decision, not even that's being driven by car ownership, um, but even just by ideology. And then for reasons for not riding transit, um, Preferring to drive was the most popular option. Those are people who just like to drive rather than taking the bus. Um, but other things that we heard were the bus doesn't come frequently enough or there's no service near my home. And actually the next response that also got a significant number was the bus doesn't run during the hours that I need it to. 
And then we ask people about their most common trip, about why they're traveling and when. So work, not surprisingly, work trips were a big um, portion of why people were traveling. And then school was followed up. Um, so that makes up, you know, over 50% of the trips that people um wrote about. And then there were sort of a handful of other responses, grocery shopping, recreational, or just other reasons. Um, and then we found that most people are taking whichever their most common trip is, they are taking it three to five days per week. So if you think about like a work or a school trip, that makes sense. You're probably doing that on a sort of a daily basis. Um, and then we are seeing sort of uh, a strong like morning and p.m. peak. So um, the blue here represents the outbound trip. So when are you like going um, on your most common trip? So people were most likely to do that uh, on weekdays between 7 and 11 a.m. So that would be probably during a morning commute. And then they're most likely to make their return trip in the evening. So weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. Um, and then we asked people their opinions about different things. So um, the questions are here on the left. And then I'll explain how this, um, how this graph works. So um, people were asked if they disagree, agree, or if they feel neutrally about the question. And then I gave them a score. So a higher average score means that people were more likely to agree with that. So for example, the highest scoring um, question here is staff is professional and courteous. So people were very likely to agree with that statement, um, which you know we heard that in the focus groups and we heard that in other places too, that people are really happy with the interactions they're having with drivers and with customer service. Um, and then next here is fares are reasonable. So most people did also agree that the fares are quite reasonable. Um, you know, overall, all of these are, are pretty high scores. You know, buses are comfortable, services de dependable. Those are all receiving pretty high scores. On the lower end, um, website is easy to understand. So it's still receiving overall a pretty positive um, response, but it's, um, you know, basically halfway between a neutral and an agree um, average. And then schedules meeting my travel needs is also on the lower end. So that's something that people might be less likely to agree with. Um, and then I've just here written out some of the um, noteworthy free responses. So we had some, we had a lot of good comments and I thought it was helpful to highlight some here. So we got a lot of comments that were about route suggestions or requests. Um, people had comments about places they wanna go to or routes that they often use. So I'll just read a couple here. So the first one in blue, route 11 should not be changed. Each morning during the fall and spring semesters, the buses are fully packed with students traveling from the apartments, reserve or Spanish crest, to campus. Um, in the middle, I would like to see some more routes that are considered KU routes be running during summer and during breaks as well as on the weekends. They provide access to other routes and there are student workers and staff that work during the summer and breaks. I would think that some could be combined and have service with one bus during these times. And then the third one here, currently there is no bus going directly from KU to Rock Chalk Park. Could the 10 and not the six go to Rock Chalk Park to provide that connection? Um, and then, like I said, we got a lot of um, comments about fares as well. So I tried to choose three that I thought were kind of representative of the themes that we were hearing. 
So the first one on the left, I believe fares are a fiscal burden for some low-income passengers and low-income individuals are more likely to tip to depend on the bus service. I would like to see some mechanism to try to reduce or eliminate fares for at least some passengers, either through some system based on eligibility or eliminating fares at certain stops in low-income neighborhoods. Um, oops, and then the center quote here, I would love to see a creative use of funding to eliminate fares, but not at the cost of service reductions. And then the third quote here, I love that we live in such a bus-friendly city. It should be a priority to make the routes as accessible as possible to all residents. If everyone had access to free bus service, it could improve the lives of many. So I think what we're seeing here is, you know, people really do support the idea of low-income, um, you know, free fares, but there's also this tension with, you know, really not wanting to see any of those um, service reductions. And then I just pulled out a couple other quotes that I thought were interesting. So the first one here in green, having the bus come every 15 to 20 minutes makes it much easier to use. So higher frequency. Um, Sunday service is needed because I go to church and I don't have a ride to church on Sunday. Here in the yellow, please add shelters at more bus stops so when it rains, waiting riders could wait comfortably. And then on the right, later service hours would be a plus. When I travel to downtown for dinner or the park concerts, I have to drive because there's no service after eight. So I think those are, that's all the information that we wanted to present. And we're certainly open to other thoughts or comments about the survey or the focus group, anything really that you've heard um, during this presentation. Okay. So, um, you know, I think maybe there's a, one question is, you know, how does this play in to the next steps? And, and as, as I mentioned, that's kind of a multi-step iterative process where we focus on coverage and then later on schedules. So as we develop our scenarios, we try to incorporate um, as many of these themes as we possibly can, um, especially the ones that we're hearing uh, repeated over and over again. Um, you know, uh, uh, of course, it doesn't mean that every question or every, every single comment um, will be acted on immediately, but it's, it's certainly going into kind of into the mix as we develop our, our next, um, our recommendations. Um, and I guess that's maybe a segue into Felice's section, which is to discuss um, how we uh, move forward with outreach, but actually before Felice, before you get into that, I just want to remind everybody that we typically have this group meet once a month, but this or the next meeting is actually going to be just in a week from now um, because we're kind of getting to the point now where we do have scenarios to share with everybody. And we want to ensure that there's sufficient time for people to see those scenarios and that um, KU students in particular have uh, an opportunity to to weigh in on um, on the scenarios before before the holidays and things like that. So we are going to meet in uh, in a week next Tuesday night to go over uh, service scenarios, focusing primarily on coverage. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Felice. Great. Can you all see my screen? Okay. Okay, so we're gonna go over the spectrum of public outreach strategies, both that we did for phase one, just to kind of give you a sense of what level of outreach we did. And I can go over those briefly. Um, this 
inform, consult, involve, collaborate is what we're basing our spectrum off of. And in general, the first phase included more collaborate and involve strategies. And as we progress through this kind of project, it does tend to become less collaborate and involve and more consult, but also reminding you that the consult goal is to obtain public feedback on analysis, alternatives, and or decisions. So it's still a pretty robust way of engaging. And that is exactly where we are. We're looking at alternatives and looking towards making decisions. So let me know if you have any questions about these different levels of engagement. Um, just to briefly run over the phase one, um, you can see the different collaborate and involve options um, as well as the informing options. So these all have dates on them. These in phase two that we're planning don't really have as many dates yet. We're still working on that. Um, but yeah, so we did a lot of presentations. We did outreach, focus groups, the survey, and we're doing a lot of the same things and taking lessons learned into phase two. So I want to make sure we focus on the phase two scenarios, but if you have any questions about the phase one, let me know. Um, we also did let you know about low-tech versus high-tech, in-person and virtual options as well. So these steering committee meetings are at the collaborate level. And so we are viewing you as our collaborators and we hope that you bring back this information to your constituents. And so this is our main point of contact at the uh, collaborate level in phase two is you all, the steering committee. So we're gonna have a survey online as well and Spanish translation will be available. We're gonna have the paper surveys um, some tabling opportunities that will be, you know, kind of asking folks their opinions about the different options. So it won't just be kind of static tabling. It'll be pretty engaging tabling. So we've got some of these. And if there are any that you would like us to consider, feel free to email Adam those or you can put them in the chat and we'll, we will collect those. Um, if anyone wants to help out our small staff um, do some tabling, we're also very open to that. Um, so just let us know. We'll be doing different broadcast emails, push notifications, emailing the Human Services Coalition listserv email, which goes out to different other listservs and things like that. Um, be doing a Zoom presentation with LAN which captures a lot of different groups as well. So we're trying to do as much with our limited staff as we can. And we definitely do really wanna hear your suggestions. Did we miss something? Is there a way that we could do better? We would really like to, to hear it and get some feedback. Um, we'll also be putting together a one pager and um, that you all can send out to your constituents. We'll, we'll get that together for you all and also probably some draft social media posts just so you can put those out through all of your channels. Um, the utility bill insert, we'll probably be making some sort of either video like we have done in the past. And we're also considering um, maybe an educational video that goes with the survey. So we're, we're thinking through how to best deliver education and um, to get people the information they need to be able to take the survey. We'll be at our 
bus operator safety meetings, we will be going through PTAC. And this is a way that the public can also um, join us for these kind of city sanctioned public meetings. And so the dates for those are there. Um, we'll be giving an update to MMTC and we're looking to figure out how to best engage the downtown property owners. And we're considering mailing postcards at this time. And we're gonna be conscious of um, overwhelming folks. We also have um, some public meetings coming up for our other projects with the, the multimodal transfer facility and different things like that. So we'll probably be letting people know about multiple ways to engage. So with you know the postcards to downtown, they'll have a couple of things on them as well. And then these public meetings, I think we're gonna um, ask for some feedback from you all on this call in a moment about kind of general, what not specific, specific dates potentially, but um, you know, after work, evenings, weekdays, Saturdays, I wanna kind of get some feedback from you all about what might work well. There's a limited number of these public meetings with Foursquare able to attend them. So we wanna have them be really useful. Um, and then we'll also get the remix maps posted. And then we're also working on a potential demo of microtransit software from Ride KC that people interested in how microtransit might work. They could see what our neighboring city is doing and how it's going. So that's this at an overview, happy to dive deeper and also happy, um, I'll see if there's any general questions and then we can kind of go into when we should have those public meetings. Elise, I'm noticing that our university governing committee, the Transit Commission, isn't listed here. It didn't have any meetings when this got started, but we should probably include them uh, somewhere in there with PTAC. Great. Thank you. Yeah, anything else that we missed or any holes that you're seeing, we tried to denote what would be um, in Spanish on here, just kind of in the text. We didn't make a column for that, but take a look, let me know. And then if um, also feel free to email Adam about that and especially any tabling opportunities, or if you'd like to help us out with that, um, feel free to email Adam and I'll wait a few moments to see if there's any comments and then we can go into the, the scheduling conversation. I have a comment. This is uh, Freddie Gipp from PTAC. So the people that I'm uh, kind of been working with, um, it's more oriented around Haskell. And I understand that while this is very KU focused, you know, there is that um, gap of information right there that we are missing. Uh, so through the economic strategic plan working groups, uh, I'm kind of leading the Native American group and we have representative Christina Haswood of the 10th district, which oversees Haskell. Um, she's very interested in, uh, we're very interested in developing a town hall after the elections for the city um, in November, probably the first couple of weeks. Uh, and that's just to simply just gauge Haskell people directly, you know, surveys, whatever, but trying to give a more overview because I understand while, you know, there is the question of fair free, if that doesn't happen, you know, Haskell is a plausible resource where, you know, there's not that many students, 
this is a future opportunity where, you know, maybe there's tribal partnerships, maybe, you know, the federal government through, since through Haskell's in it, Department of Interior, BIA, BIE, you know, there's funding available, you know, if they can see that it can benefit their students. And I think, and that's what it's about because that's what's literally missing in this entire conversation is that input. And so that's kind of in the works right now, but that's kind of just to kind of give you an overview of what we're thinking about doing once the election uh, wraps up. And I think, what is that? First, first week of November for the city elections, that is. Because we would like to invite the people who are going to be actually on the city commission instead of people just trying to campaign like in a couple of weeks. Sure. And we can coordinate. About yeah, that yeah. I'm not sure. And, and if you want to, talk strategy about in case this um the time frames don't exactly line up we definitely want to make sure yeah because it was you have the venue for it it would be at sacred ground which already it's like already a voting location too um right north of haskell uh but yeah i mean and i understand i reached out to one of the finance people of haskell and they haven't received any communication from adam yet Uh, i think that was just kind of asked the question about you know, if Haskell was to provide more, you know, because Haskell students, they pay, uh, I think they pay about 50 cents a ride. Uh, but, you know, if there's an opportunity for, you know, their fees to be increased, uh, what would that look like? And so those are the kind of questions that, you know, hopefully we'll answer at this potential town hall in November. Ready, this is Margaret from KU. I think that it might be beneficial for you to connect um, next week when he's back from his vacation to have that conversation before a town hall meeting because okay. they're establishing those relationships is something we've attempted to do several times over many years and any progress we can make towards that relationship with Haskell um, should probably happen as soon as possible and not just at a town hall meeting in November. Hey, Freddie and everybody, this is quiz at KU completely agree with Margretta. Uh, Freddie, I think early on, maybe earlier in the school year or late last spring or something, you know, I might have, and I'm trying to remember when, but I think I sent you a couple of texts or an email to let's talk about what, you know, options might be available for Haskell students to ride. I do just want to remind the group that it's been several years and what does several mean? I'm going to say at least 15 years ago, um, the Haskell students actually we're able to ride the KU on wheels system at no cost. That was something that was passed by the uh, KU on wheels uh, transit commission several years ago. Uh, but at some point that that got lost and no longer stayed in place. And so it's something I've been interested in for sure. Um, so Freddie, give me a holler. Um, let's you, you and I, or you I and Adam talk and, see what we can figure out. I'd love to help you guys out. Yeah, definitely. And when will Adam be back? Do you know, Margareta? Next Tuesday. Okay. Boys. Yes. I was also at the Haskell powwow last weekend, and, and I heard that Haskell runs their own bus from Haskell to KU on Sundays. I don't know if that'd be a question to ask too. For sure. Is that a charter bus? Is it what through what group? I don't know. I think it's their own bus, but I'm not sure what size or how many or when it runs. Yeah. 
Well, and the rationale for how students back in the day, again, several years ago, the rationale was there are several Haskell students taking classes at KU. Um, is there a way to provide transportation for those, for those students that were kind of dually enrolled and get them transit options to uh, KU? So that's kind of the premise of what started that whole thing several years ago. You, you guys is able to well we see if he comes back on uh, I can see all of your chats and I'll, I'll get those notes down from all of you thank you I see this the step about uh, downtown property owners uh, I do wonder about engaging downtown Lawrence as a mechanism to communicate with the various businesses in downtown. They have a very active association. Uh, I was thinking their director might be on our steering committee, but I, apparently I was just making that up in my head. Uh, I don't think she is represented. Um, and also wondering about the chamber. I know there is a representative to the chamber, but I don't think he has been on uh, had an opportunity to be, be on many of these meetings. Um, they do have a community affairs, I think it's the name of the group of representatives from the chamber that meet to talk about community-based issues. That might be an opportunity to engage local businesses since particularly in light of the fact that through the focus group process, um, there weren't any area businesses engaged in that discussion. So I think it would be great to have an opportunity to get them more engaged in this discussion. Thank you. Any others on that? Okay, um, so we wanted to get your feedback on what you think are the best for the larger public meetings where Foursquare will be presenting. Are we thinking more after hours? Um, and there, there will be a couple of them. And so Boris, I might let you jump in here to help with this. And um, you know, do you like yeah. weeknights, Saturdays, different things? Open to hearing your all's thoughts about that. I think we're open to doing um, both a daytime and an evening meeting. Um, and oftentimes daytime meetings uh, attract students and, and other, other groups like that who might have a break during the day, maybe like a lunch, you know, lunchtime meeting. Um, and then others could, could maybe be interested in joining in the evening hours. So, but we're open to both. And I think weekdays would, would typically we do these uh, meetings on weekdays. Um, weekends sometimes sound like a great plan, but in my experience, people sort of aren't in the mindset of 
doing, you know, kind of non family stuff on, on weekends. So, uh, turnout often is better if, if we stick to weekdays. Does two meetings sound like a daytime and a, and a evening meeting? Does that sound about right? Or we could um, potentially do kind of three with one focused maybe more on uh, the universities, both KU and Haskell. Uh, if, if you guys think that's warranted. Will, will these meetings be in person or will, this is will warm. they be? Oh. Sorry, or will they be over Zoom? So the 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 kind of more formal meetings um, will be over Zoom, but there will also be kind of pop up events. Um, Felice, I think did you participate in some of those last time, like the remix type of pop up events? Yeah. So so it'll be a bit of both, but those are more those are more like anyone can come in, you know, come and go as 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 they as they wish, um, versus the presentation that'll be kind of a you know two hour block let's say and it'll go through route by route um, and and discuss in detail what the proposals are i'm gonna jump in here and say that having one meeting that's university oriented is a good idea normally when we do route hearing meetings on an annual basis there's usually one that's university uh in person at the university but um, in general, we're planning to try and be creative without making sure that students get engaged in October. And so as long as we're thoughtful about what time we schedule it and make sure we get all the word out to people, um, I don't think it, if they're online meetings, it won't be as important that we choose a university location for a meeting. Margaret, do you feel comfortable kind of cross-promoting with Haskell or um, do you feel like there needs to be just a KU-specific meeting? I would only have a KU-specific meeting if it was in person is okay. what I was getting at. I mean, normally we have had, I am happy to cross-promote to anywhere. Yeah. Um, the idea of actually getting some Haskell input is fantastic. Um, but as long as they're Zoom meetings, um, I don't know how that would make any difference. But Max and I have been working on some ideas about tabling on campus. And maybe, Freddie, you could help us um, outside offline of these meetings to find a way to plan for some tabling at Haskell, maybe? Well, I think the city needs to be constantly present at Curtis Hall. That's where they eat lunch at Haskell. That's where all the students are at um, for a tabling opportunity there. I personally probably won't be there, but I, I agree. No, with I just mean we should talk about like, oh, yeah. But I was you can tell me all about how to do that. And yeah. we can well, I agree with you that the KU event should be standalone because you're probably not going to get any Haskell students there. Um, whether it's in person or Zoom, just because if it's already at KU. So that's why I was hoping that this standalone meeting with the representative Haswood uh, would be more um, approachable, more, uh, I think, more informative and probably more inclusive because then we're actually trying to get, you know, talk to these students, ask them where they're from, you know, where are they living off campus, uh, stuff that you're not going to get in these meetings here. I 
completely agree. I mean, if we're going to have a meeting at Haskell, it should just be about Haskell. Um, but Freddie, maybe we could have this conversation. Uh, give me a call and I can give you some tips from my side and then we could talk to Adam about it next week. Okay. Yeah, we'll have a few opportunities to discuss this further. Um, so I, I, I don't know if there's any maybe other big picture comments for tonight um, on this approach, but but we'll we'll be finalizing kind of the dates and and specific meeting formats um, in, over the next couple of weeks. All right, sounds like generally this is an okay plan potentially with the need for a little bit more focus on Haskell. Um, okay, well, I think then we could probably wrap things up. Just again, I, I, I'd like to remind everybody that we will be reconvening this group next Tuesday. So if you don't have um, that on your calendar, then, um, you know, maybe let, I guess, speak up now and let us know because we can send you, send anybody an invite that doesn't have it already on the calendar. And the focus will be on service scenarios. So kind of the exciting stuff. Hey, Boris, this is Quiz again. And I apologize if I broke up earlier. I'm actually out of the dang football practice right now. So I'm trying to do both things here. Um, I, I kind of want to let the group know, too, and, and back on whether or not Haskell should be invited or not to, to KU stuff. I say absolutely, yes, we should. Um, if it makes more sense to do things, you know, separately in different places, I'm all for that. But I also want you guys to know that if we're going to have a Zoom call that benefits students, KU students, I'll, I, you know, I think we send the invite to Haskell students as well. That's just my two cents. And then the last thing yeah. I wanted to say, um, am I breaking up? A little bit, but you're good. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. And then the second thing I wanted to just kind of remind everybody is that, you know, if, listen, for, say we had a conversation with Freddie about Haskell students riding KU buses at no cost. Well, that, that comes to transmission, you know, and we vote on that one way or the other. It understand it's with the city. It also means a little bit about that. Hey quiz, you are breaking up a little bit. You are, you are. It sounds like a really, sounds like a really important comment. So we don't, we want to make sure that we got that. Um, so you were breaking up, but maybe it's something that you would like to bring up. Uh, we have an internal call on Thursday, uh, so I know you're 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 scheduled to be on that call. So so maybe you could bring it up again on that call. But we we're, we're having a hard time hearing you. All right. Well, that's uh, that's like a cliffhanger for the next time we all get together and we'll hear the amazing comment that unfortunately we all missed. So, so I think that's what we'll call it a night for now.
and um, we'll we'll regroup in a week. And um, yeah, everybody have have a nice night and nice rest of the week. Thanks, Boris. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Night.